Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Thank you for coming again. You came back, obviously, to hear 2 Samuel 4. So let's jump right in. Got a lot to cover. And uh, 2 Samuel 4 and verse 1, where Ishbosheth is murdered. When Saul's son heard that Abner had died in Hebron, he lost all heart, and all Israel was troubled. Friends, right there alone, in verse 1 alone, I can tell you a lot of information about Ishbosheth. My major in seminary was in Christian leadership. They taught us a lot about leadership values. And what makes this verse 1 really jump out at me is that it says that Ishbosheth lost all heart. It means he totally just gave up. The first problem he ever had, we've seen David counter a lot of issues, a lot of hindrances, a lot of problems. Ishbosheth just gave up on the whole thing. He was not a leader. He was a king. He was slapped in there by Abner real quick, but he was not a leader. Ishbosheth had no substance to his rule, and he never asserted his authority over Israel. He never made any effort to. He had the authority. He was the recognized king over Israel. David was only ruling over Judah at the time, but he he didn't stand up for himself. He just said, well, all's lost, and that's it, and he gave up. He heard the news of Abner's death, and he basically rolled over dead, and he didn't do a single thing about it. You know, we have been seeing David punch after punch, hit after hit, and he he's like Rocky Balboa. He just keeps getting up and coming after it. He was not a quitter. And he had very few dedicated followers that stuck with him, David, for a very long time. But David never let the concept of majority rules get to him. Kill Saul, David, kill Saul. He would never do it. Everybody wanted Saul dead, but David never listened to what everybody said, or he never let his vision be deterred by any one guy, such as like Ishbosheth did with losing Abner. David always remembered what the Lord told him. The anointing of the Lord was on him. The spirit of God was upon him and never left him at that throughout all his life there. He followed that. And friends, that's a big issue for us to learn from is that when the Lord calls you to something, no man, no one can tell you to hang it up unless God tells you to hang it up. David never quit. I'm not going to quit until the Lord tells me to or takes me home. And even still, when he takes me home, I'm still going to be doing some kind of service for him anyway. Hey, Christian, you might as well get used to serving the Lord now because you're going to be doing it for eternity anyway. But guys, we have a king that's coming and we got to get ready. That's why I keep going. That's what keeps making me move is you know, when you have a company come over, what do you do? You you mow the grass, you trim the bushes, maybe you you vacuum the house, you dust the furniture and clean things up a little bit. Well, we got a king that's coming and we got to get ready. 
So don't quit. Don't lay down. I think a lot of the reason why judgment begins in the house of God, as scripture says, is when he sees the church getting a little lazy, he goes to weed out the Ishbosheth leaders, the heartless leaders that, that are making the church get stagnant. So he goes and pushes the judgment through to wake the church up so that when the church wakes up, everybody else wakes up. If you notice, when Ishbosheth gave up, the scripture says that all of Israel was troubled. Well, likewise with the church, the assembly of believers needs good leaders in it. And when they get lazy, something's got to come shake the Ishbosheth's leaders out to roll over and play dead so that whatever it cannot be shaken will remain. Here we go with a leader who lost heart. And trust me, when a leader loses heart, everybody will notice it. That's why if you want to be a good leader, don't panic. Don't freak out. Because when a leader panics and gives up, it increases the instability. And so it also gives the opposition an opportunity to strike. Now, friend, I know you don't want any more problems than you've already got. But when you roll over and play dead, that gives the enemy a chance to strike you. And here we are in Second Samuel 4 and 2, where just that very thing happens. It says, now Saul's son had two men who were captains of troops. The name of one was, was Banna, and the other one was Rechab, the sons of Remon, the Berothite of the children of Benjamin. For Beroth also was part of Benjamin, because the Berothites fled to Gitaim and have been sojourners there till this day. Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. Then the sons of Remon, the Berothite, Rechab, and Bana set out and came at about the heat of the day to the house of Ishbosheth, who was lying on his bed at noon. And they came there all the way into the house as though to get wheat, and they stabbed him in the stomach. Then Rechab and Bana, his brother, escaped. For when they came into the house, he was lying on his bed in his bedroom. Then they struck him and killed him, beheaded him, and took his head, and were all night escaping through the plain. So now we're given some sudden information here about Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth. At five years old, he was dropped, and because he was injured, that's going to play in the story later because we already know how close David was to Jonathan. If you remember, they had made a bunch of covenants with each other. And the reason that Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, is brought up is because he's about to reappear later in the story as someone who is in need of special attention. Right now, there's danger to the Benjamites. Saul and Jonathan have both died. Ishbosheth has died, been killed, and a lot of Benjamite trouble. You got this guy who is injured, who needs special help, and guess who's going to give it to him? It's going to be King David. So imagine that. It sounds kind of like the gospel message, doesn't it? It sounds like me. Injured in sin, all of us, we were injured in sin. And so we needed the special protection of King Jesus, and he offers that to us. Again, you got the gospel in the Old Testament. But how is he going to draw Meshibosheth to him through such times of danger? Through covenant. Remember, David made covenants with his father. Jonathan. He made multiple covenants to protect his family and all kinds of things. Covenant. He's going to draw Mephibosheth to him through covenant. And friends, that's really awesome because that's how the Lord God 
draws you to Jesus Christ is through covenant. Covenant is very important because it's the promises of God. What he says he's going to do, he will do. So I want you to get your mind geared up when Mephibosheth comes into the picture, now that we've been introduced to him, because you're going to get to see what the Lord is going to do with him, how he draws him to David for that special protection under the king. That's a picture of you and I being drawn in to special protection under Jesus Christ. Second Samuel 4 and 8, And they brought the head of Ishbosheth to David at Hebron, and said to the king, Here is the head of Ishbosheth, the son of Saul, your enemy, who sought your life. And the Lord has avenged my lord the king this day of Saul and his descendants. Uh, apparently, it was part of the cultural thinking of that day. People believed that they would be rewarded for killing an enemy of a king. If we kill this guy and bring him, we're going to get a reward out of it. You've got these guys functioning with limited information. They have limited vision. They, they're trying to do things on their own terms that they think is right according to their own opinions, when in actuality, in reality, it's not in accordance with the king's will. This is why it is heavily important for you to know your king. You need to know your king before you set out to do things that you think he's going to be pleased with. When people run off and say, I'm going to go do this for my king, but they don't have the slightest clue who their king is, they think they know what he likes, they think they know what he wants, because they do not know the commands that their king has given. If you run off and try to do something for King Jesus, well, I'm a Christian, I'm going to go do this. Hey, I was in Bible college. I was surrounded by a lot of people who thought they were called to ministry and they weren't. A lot of people who thought they were believers and they weren't. And they said they were going to go do this and go do that. But they never cared to study God's word to find out who their king is. They never studied to determine, well, let's see, what does my king want? What does my king expect me to be? What does my king expect me to do? They never cared. They just did the academics and poof, they're gone. The Bible meant nothing to them. They never studied. They don't know their king. And I watched, I watched painfully seeing these guys try to jump out and do these big ministry plans that they cooked up that God never told them to go do. And it backfired miserably. It hurt a lot of people. It hurt themselves. And now to this day, they don't do ministry. They hate the church. They hate the assembly of God, the body of believers, and they have nothing to do with it. They're worse than they were before they started. They did not know their king. What they did was they went off and did things wrong. They did things backwards, and it made the king mad like these two assassins. Here's the head of the, your enemy. Look what we did for you thinking, oh, he's going to love us. He's, he's, he's going to really like us for doing this. And it made him mad, made David very, very mad. The assassins thought that killing Ishbosheth in the same way that Joab had killed Abner by stabbing him in the stomach would somehow make up for David's grief over Abner's death. And these assassins, they never wanted to see what David's feelings were. They never cared to listen to reports or ask anybody, hey, do you know how David thinks about this? Tell me about David. At least make an effort to get to know him. They didn't know what he wanted, and what they did was wrong. They did not know their king. They didn't know their king. And so what they thought was right, Christian, listen to me, listen careful. What they thought was right was not right. 
what they thought would make the king happy actually made the king mad. But David answered Rechab and Bana, his brother, the sons of Remon the Berethite, and said to them, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my life from all adversity, when someone told me, saying, Look, Saul is dead, thinking to have brought good news, I arrested him and had him executed in Ziklag, the one who thought I would give him a reward for his news. How much more, when wicked men have killed a righteous person in his own house on his bed? Therefore, shall I not require his blood at your hand and remove you from this earth? So David commanded his young men, and they executed them, cut off their hands and feet, and hanged them by the pool in Hebron. But they took the head of Ishbosheth and buried it in the tomb of Abner in Hebron. Okay, so in verse 10, what David brought up was how he's been he's seen this before somebody's tried this little trick on him once before already if you remember that Amalekite guy that came to David back in 2 Samuel chapter 1 he claimed that he found Saul too injured to fight he had arrows in him he asked me to kill him so I did and here's his crown he lied that's not how it went down Saul took his own life But he tried to make David think that he took Saul's life before the Philistines got to torture him, like he did him a favor. All David heard was, you killed the king? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever felt used? Have you ever felt people came and kind of manipulated you a little bit and maybe told you some kind of bogus story just to try to get something out of you? And they kind of insulted your intelligence in the process. You knew they were lying to you. And you knew they just wanted something out of you because you had something they, they wanted part of. And, it, and it, it insults your intelligence when people treat you like you're too dumb, like you're too stupid to know better. Well, David basically said, this is not my first rodeo, buddy. I have been through this before. People have tried this already on me, and it didn't work out good for them. That's why he expressed that he had already been through this trick before with that Amalekite guy. It angered David, and it should anger anybody for anything. Let's say you run a company and worthless people that don't produce anything, they come to the manager and they want some kind of a raise or something or a bonus. You're not getting a raise. You don't even do anything here. I should fire you. (laughs) So it made David mad when these worthless people who never did anything to help advance the kingdom, they had no idea who he even was, but... They came to him to try to sell him on some stunts they pulled. Hey, we did this and we did it for you, David. We did it for you. Don't you love us? When in reality, they were actually acting in opposition to everything David was trying to do. These worthless guys come up trying to fake him out by lying to him, trying to manipulate him, insult his intelligence to get a reward out of a king they have no clue who he is. I want you to hang on to that. I will come back to that. But in Rehab and Bana's mind, they thought that they were doing King David a favor. And they weren't. They thought they were. It looked good to them. You know, today people have relativism where what's true for you is good for you, but what's good for me is what's good for me. Go by whatever you want. No, there is a standard. And they went by their own perception, by their own standard, but it got them in big trouble because it made the king upset. Here is the head of your enemy who sought your life. Excuse me, do y'all remember anything in the scripture at all about Ishbosheth plotting to have King David killed? I don't remember seeing that. It didn't happen. 
Ishbosheth did not exercise his authority very well. He was not even going to be one to stand up and say, hey, let's go kill David. So Ishbosheth was no threat to David at all. There was no reason to kill Ishbosheth. David was not dumb. He had godly wisdom, and he knew when people were lying to him. They took David for a fool, and it made him upset. They think they're smarter than him. And guys, this is what lawlessness will do. You cook up stories, you lie, you believe things that aren't true, you develop your own perceptions of how you think things ought to operate, and and it's not right, it's wrong. This is the danger of not knowing your king. Christian, you need to know Jesus. You need to know who he is and what he expects. Otherwise, you're going to run your own direction. The Bible says there's a way that seems right to a man, but it ends up in death for him. That's exactly what happened to these two assassins. And so it angered David because they worked according to their own perceptions, according to what they thought King David was like. They assumed that David would like this. And because of this grave mistake, David sent them to their graves. And I know some of you are thinking, well, that sure is harsh of a thing for David to do. I thought he was a man after God's own heart. I, I thought he was good. Well, he was good. And it was right to execute these men because a good king has to be firm against wickedness or else he's not really good. It was bad enough that these guys tried to trick David, but killing a defenseless man laying in his bed? How cowardly is that? There's there's no, no honor in that. It was an act of lawlessness that because David was a good king, he had to condemn that. He had to condemn it. That was the right thing to do. And so David's stern measures to condemn these men reflected his love for Saul's family. That's something we need to understand about the Lord, friends. We need to get that down. The fact that God does condemn is because he loves. God loves. Oh, he's all love. He'll never condemn anybody. No, because he loves, he has to condemn. He loves righteousness. He has to condemn the wicked. But to those who reject Jesus Christ and who remain in their wickedness willfully, I'm going to be bad and that's just the way I'm going to be. He has to condemn that. God does condemn. Matthew 7 and 21 says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. In this passage right here, it's talking about people that are going to see Jesus Christ and they're going to expect a reward. And the people in this passage, they're exactly like Rehab and Bana were. They came to the Lord only because they wanted something out of him. Everybody wants to be saved. Everybody thinks they're going to heaven. But because these people, and it says many, friends, it doesn't say few, it says many. That means the majority. Because they had no idea who their king was. They had no idea what Jesus expected of them. They were shocked to discover that they were actually going to be condemned rather than be rewarded for it. And did you notice that the people in the passage here tried to manipulate Jesus? Oh, oh, wait, wait a minute, Lord. Didn't we do this? We, oh, oh, let's spiritualize it. Let's sound good. Let's, let's, what's some good things we did that we think we did? Oh, we prophesied. Yeah, that sounds good. We prophesied and cast out demons. Lord, we did this and this and this and this and this. Come on, Lord, look at all the stuff we did. Friend, I want to tell you, you're not saved because of what you did. You're saved because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It has nothing to do with what you've done. 
And you can see they went right to arguing with the Lord. That means they did not know him. You don't argue with the Lord. If you know him, you'll know that you got to give your life to him and believe in what he did on the cross to be saved. And when he tells you to leave, wait, 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 wait a minute. Hang on, God. We did all this stuff. Look at this list I have. Don't take Jesus for a fool. Come on. It makes him mad. (laughs) You don't want to do that. Get to know your king. They acted first before waiting to see what God would tell them to do, before waiting to get to know their God first, before inquiring of God. No, they just ran right off. Oh, we just assume God's going to love this. So we're good people, right? And they never believed in Jesus. And they did all this stuff that they thought was their brownie points for getting in. They bypassed the cross of Jesus Christ, the only way in. They never believed upon him. And they get there saying, where's our reward? And he says, you're condemned. Depart. I never knew you. Shock of their existence. Don't be that person. Don't let that be you. Pick up your Bible. Pick up your Bible and read it. I'm doing the best I can to teach everybody I can possibly get to because I don't want anybody showing up before the Lord and hearing Depart from me, I never knew you. I want all of you out there to get an opportunity to know your Lord, to know your King, and so you can make a decision to be saved. But look what happened to Rehab and Bana. They did not know David's feelings about Ishbosheth before they acted. Get to know your King. Let's move on now into first, uh, sorry, second Samuel. First, what? I see a number one right here, so I'm saying first. Second Samuel 1. <laughs> Second Samuel, I, can, I still can't get it right. Ray, slow down. You got all day. Second Samuel 5, verse 1. There I got it. Oh, hope you're awake now. Second Samuel 5, verse 1, where David reigns over all Israel. It says, Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and spoke, saying, Indeed, we are your bone and your flesh. Also in time past, when Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel out and brought them in. And the Lord said to you, you shall shepherd my people Israel and be ruler over Israel. Okay, look at this. Ishbosheth is gone. Now the way was clear for David to come in and rule even over the northern tribes of Israel, as well as Judah. He'd already been ruling over Judah for the past seven years. We remember that the Lord had worked to turn Abner around. He went out to influence all the tribes to come and unite under David. And so here's this delegation now. They all came to David to state how they agreed that it was time for David to rule over all of them. Now, this is a huge deal. This is a big thing. Americans, imagine if all the Republicans and Democrats came together and said, you know what, we're all going to agree with each other today, and this is the way it ought to be. Wouldn't your head flip? (laughs) you got all these 11 other tribes, all, not just two parties. You've got 11 parties of people coming together saying, here's our man. We're going to get all behind you. All of us are going to get behind you, David. Remember, they had just been through a long war. There could be a lot of hard feelings here that kept people from saying, no, I'm absolutely not going to agree. That war that we went through, I'm still mad about it. Guys, do you see how the Lord moved with his people, Israel? Isn't that great? They did not agree to David's rule for no reason at all, though. I want to show you some multiple layers that there was of real substance within David that moved them to get under his authority. First, it says, as we read, they professed how they were all David's kinsmen. That means that David was a true descendant of, da- of Jacob. 
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.